chapter 8, a very, very familiar Bible story. If you are in the habit of reading the Word of God, and I hope that you do, I hope that you, uh, on a regular basis, are in the Word of God. I, I still believe the greatest way to read and study the Bible, and uh, by the way, there's, that, that's two different things, reading and studying it, but I still think the best way to read the Word of God is, is systematically. And um, my personal favorite has come about in the last several years, and that's chronologically. So if you can get a hold of a chronological Bible reading schedule, it will help you immensely and uh, tie a whole lot more of the Old Testament together. And uh, so I hope you read your word. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And uh, this morning we're talking about hope for the broken. By the way, how many do not have an outline? You didn't get one on the way in, and uh, I think Brother Scott has some for you. Just make your way around there. Thank you, Brother Scott. Last week uh, was such a blessing. We enjoyed our fellowship time afterward and uh, all of the funny stories and the touching heart stories that we heard last week were such a blessing and encouragement to me. My wife and family, we left, our hearts were very full and so grateful, just so grateful for our church family and all that God has done over the years and what he's still continuing to do. Just hold your hands up. He's almost there to you. And um, and we just praise the Lord. So thank you for all of the kindnesses that you shared from your heart. And uh, we we certainly, certainly were encouraged. We felt encouraged of the Lord. You know, the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord when he had nobody around. And uh, I was just thankful that we had a whole lot of people around still. They stuck around. By the way, the food wasn't bad either. The food was great. That smoked pork. By the way, did I tell you we had smoked pork? Uh, it was wonderful, and all of the tater salad and the macaroni salad and everything else that was out there was great. Uh, the desserts were great, and so it was wonderful. Thank you so, so much. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Before we read there, I want to say just a few things about our text this morning and really just kind of about the, the topic, hope for the broken. Um, you know this, especially if you've lived as long as I have, that the choices we make matter. And our decisions in life have consequences. As we learned this last week, we have all had times when we have chosen poorly, haven't we? We all made mistakes. We've all fallen into sin, so the cliche goes. And when this happens, it often feels like things break. If it's bad enough, it often feels like things break, like something's broken, like it's just not right. We were coming back from a short trip that I took with my son fishing, and, and I heard a noise outside of my window, and I was like, something's not right. And I rolled down my window. I thought it was the car next to me, and I, I didn't know what was going on. And I looked in my rearview mirror, and my left rear tire on the trailer had blown, and I didn't know it. And, 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 and that's kind of the way it is when we make a wrong decision. And there's consequences in our life that sometimes we're really not aware of, until God makes us aware of them. And when he does, it feels like something's broken. Because of our choices, a relationship falls apart. We lose a job, perhaps our finances suffer, or our marriages are strained. And it can leave us feeling hopeless as we try to pick up the pieces. We can even feel abandoned by God. And sometimes what we would say is maybe even worse, judged by those around us. It's in these times that we long for some kind of hope. We're looking for something to hold on to. This is truly, no. there's truly no worse feeling than when our sin finds us out. I think there's no greater brokenness than when our sin is exposed. And when it's exposed, it causes us to feel shame, doesn't it? When someone knows and finds out that, that you're, you're in sin and they know it and you know it, it, it makes you feel shamed and guilt. But... 
because Jesus is alive, that, that's not the end of the story. Our text is a, of a story of a woman who knew exactly what it felt like to be broken because of sin. And she was in need of restoration. Jesus is traveling to the temple to teach, and as he sits down with a crowd, his teaching is interrupted all of a sudden by an angry mob of religious leaders who are dragging a woman along with them. This woman in the story is brought before everyone with the accusation that she has been caught in the physical act of adultery. She has been cheating on her husband with someone who is not her husband. And now Jesus is in the middle of this scandal. Notice what it says in John chapter 8 and verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came to the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say about it? Verse 6. This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. By the way, they didn't really like Jesus. Jesus was speaking things and had a bigger crowd. He had more fame and he was taking more disciples than they were. And so they were trying to trap him some way. And so they did this. They said, what do you say about it? Jesus stooped down. I'm sorry, this they said, tempting him, verse 6, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he had heard him not. So when they continued asking him, now, now picture this, Jesus is drawing and writing in the ground and, and he's ignoring them and now they're getting worked up about it. Hey, this is what the law says. What do you say? Jesus, are you not going to speak to this matter? The Bible says when they continued asking him, he finally lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. How embarrassing would that have been? How humiliated would you be if that was you? If someone would have grabbed you, drug you into the middle of a church service in front of Jesus and said, this is what the law says. She deserves to die. Now, what do you say about it? Standing there in your shame. Can you imagine that? How humiliating. She would have been fully aware that the consequence for this sin, according to the law, she would have known this, was for her to be stoned to death. This picture that you're seeing here, if you'll allow yourself to imagine it, is what brokenness looks like. She had nowhere to go. She was guilty. And she knew it. And now everyone else knew it. That's the picture. A broken marriage. A broken woman. A broken reputation. This, you could say, is rock bottom. Would you agree? It, 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 
it systematically almost doesn't get any worse than this. And yet this is where Jesus meets her in her brokenness. By the way, if you've ever been really broken, that's where Jesus met you. And that's when he brings us hope. Father, we are so grateful. We pray now that you'd use your word. I yield myself to you, Lord, this morning, and I surrender. I ask that you'd help me just to get out of your way, that you would fill me with your spirit and use me. Lord, and remind us all through your word that because you live, there is always hope. God, when our sin is exposed, that is where you do your greatest work. And so I pray that you'd move today. Speak to our hearts, please. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want you to consider several points this morning. First of all, when we look at this story and when we just pause for a moment and think about what Jesus is trying to do and how Satan is trying to interrupt all that, and, and they actually are using this woman to get to Jesus, it's almost like they don't even care about her. All they want is to get to Jesus. All they want is to stop him. And yet there's a life involved. There's a wife involved. There's a marriage involved. There's a reputation involved. And, 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 and I want to I speak just topically here this morning about this particular matter of being broken. And first of all, number one, if you're taking notes, we all know about brokenness, don't we? We all know about it to some degree. Um, I think what's most shocking about this story is that the woman seems to have been used as a pawn in some religious, religious plan to, to rid themselves of Jesus. And here, sin was being exploited in front of everyone in order to harm Jesus And this woman is caught in the middle. Her sin had been exposed. And when you look at this principally, we learn a couple of things uh, about this brokenness. First of all, nothing breaks us like exposure to sin. Nothing does. Nothing breaks our heart. Nothing breaks our emotions down. Nothing gets us to the point of breaking like the exposure of sin. Our sin being laid bare is one of the worst and best feelings possible. Now hear me. On the one hand, it's horrible because everyone knows the truth about you. On the other hand, it's wonderful because finally everyone knows the truth about you. Um, Have you ever gone to the snow? How many like to go to the snow, play in the snow, go snow, ski, snowboard? You go to the snow, it normally, for you to be in that environment, if you're going to enjoy the snow, it's cold. And if you've ever gone to the snow and you're having a blast, whether it's a snowball fight or riding an inner tube down the hill or skiing or, or whatever, and your hands are in the snow long enough, even if you have gloves. And I don't know why they even give you gloves because it gets down inside and it just always gets cold. But but after a while, if you're exposed to that snow long enough, your your hands get numb. Anybody ever had your na- hands just get so numb? You're like, my goodness, I can't feel them. They, they move slowly, and, it, and then they actually hurt, and then they get numb. You can't feel anything. You go, oh, it must be okay, and you just keep going, right? Well, remember that feeling, and then finally when you get into the house or to the kitchen and you start putting them under warm water. Now watch. You get to the faucet, and you expose them to hot water. At first they would tingle and really kind of burn, wouldn't they? They would hurt, but over time, that exposure to the heat would thaw your cold skin until it felt warm again, and it would feel normal. That's the same process that goes through when our sin is exposed. When finally the truth is out, and we're broken, and we allow God 
to use that brokenness like Nathan to David. Thou art the man. And David before God was broken and said, Oh God, have mercy on me according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin against thee and thee only. Have I sinned and done this wickedness in thy sight that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. The picture in Psalm 51 is of David's brokenness. And though it was awful, and though Nathan knew, and everyone else would soon know, it was both the worst feeling ever, and yet it was the best feeling ever. Because God had finally gotten to the bottom of it. You see, when your sin finds you out, it's like the thawing fingers from the cold winter snow. At first it's painful, but pretty soon the pain subsides, and there's the warmth of a fresh start again. Oh, I can feel again. Oh, I I have use of my limbs. By the way, that's where I, that's what I believe that Jesus meant when he said the truth shall set you free. Because as long as you're living in some kind of sin without it being exposed for what it is against a holy God, you're living in a lie. That's what you're living in. And as long as you're living in the lie, there is no truth to be set free from. You are being held by the cords of your sin. We all know what it's like to experience brokenness, and there's nothing that breaks us like the exposure of sin. Secondly, if you know that feeling and you're saved, you know that nothing changes us like forgiveness of sin. Nothing is more amazing than the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 4 and verse 7, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Colossians 2 and verse 13, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your heart, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Those verses are priceless to me. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. You understand that Jesus didn't condemn this woman. Neither do I condemn you. Why? Because God is always ready to forgive. But I can't get forgiveness unless I'm broken. You understand? Sensing her guilt and her shame, her brokenness, God forgave her and sent her away with like what we said last week, a better life. One without sin. Now, if you've ever been broken because of your sin and you came to Jesus Christ, then you know the wonder of being forgiven by God through His blood. His promise to forgive is what gives us hope each and every day. Amen? Man, I've blown it today. You put your pillow on your head at night, uh, pillow, your head on your pillow. You put your head on your pillow at night and you start thinking of the day. And if you have a conscience still and the Holy Spirit is working, what do you think of? Oh, I should have done that better. I could have said that differently. I could have responded differently to that person. I could have been more patient. You, you, you go through that process. And what gives you hope? What gives you peace to go to sleep? When you say, Lord, will you please forgive me? You took all of that on you so that I could have a fresh start. I've been ignoring you, God. I haven't had the feeling of the use of my limbs or my life. And I just need you to forgive me. God, I don't feel right. I feel like something's broken. And Jesus is going, yeah, it's you again. It's your heart. And that's when we can come back to the Lord Jesus and say, yeah, I, 
I know about brokenness, but I sure know also about the forgiveness of God. Aren't you thankful for his mercy today? We all know about brokenness to some degree. Secondly, and I want you to remember this, the church is a place for the broken. Why are we going through the series? It's to remind people, look, first of all, the church is not a building. Amen. We are the church. It's the saved, baptized believers who assemble together to not only observe the ordinances, but to also fulfill the Great Commission. That is the short biblical definition of a New Testament church. Now, the fact remains that the, the wide spectrum of society believes that when we say church, it's the building, right? So if you want to use that as a place, there's nothing wrong with that geographically speaking. But as we assemble here as the church, we need to remember ourselves before everyone else remembers that this is a place for the broken. We've got to get that in our minds. Here, here this lady was caught in adultery and laying before Jesus. She had no hope that her fate would avoid death by stoning. There was no hope. She knew exactly. But then Jesus comes in, verse 6. This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his fingers, wrote on the ground as though he heard him not. So after he ignores him for a while, they continued asking. He lifted up himself and he finally said, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone on her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they that heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Rather than agree to this woman's death on the account of the law, Jesus does something completely contrary. And this is what was blowing their minds and chapping their khakis, if you'll allow me. They really didn't like it. He was always doing something different than what was expected. The Bible says that he stoops down and begins to write. Now, we're not told exactly what he wrote. It's not for us to know that. If God wanted us to know it, we can surmise, we can guess, perhaps it was a list of the accused sins. Maybe he was writing that. So all of them were sitting there and looking at their own sin. And so he said what he said. Maybe it was a list of her sins. Maybe it was a list of all her sins. And then they looked and they were like, oh, yeah, I'm guilty of that one, too. Maybe it was just the law. I don't know. We're not told exactly what it was. But we do know what he wrote was sending a message to them with the statement. Regardless, when pushed by the mob for an answer, he stands up and he says, "Okay, you're free to proceed. Tick up the stones. And I'm just going to make this caveat. If any of you have not any sin, let that guy start by throwing his stone first. You guys can throw your stones. And then one by one, first the older men leave. Why? Probably because they're wiser. You know, the longer you live, the more lessons you've learned, probably a little more the hard way. And so they're looking, they're like, stink, I got nothing to say. Drop the rock. Then the last, the youngest ones were the last. Why? Probably because they're more stubborn. Not willing to admit they're wrong. It's interesting. Kids in raising children, you see them go through stages. And the older they get, the smarter they are. By the time they're like 10, they know everything. By the time they're 18, 19, and 20, they've got like PhDs in knowledge and wisdom. Right? You can't tell them anything. Then they have kids, and then they go, I don't, I don't know anything. <laughs> I am stupid. They really, they, until they're finally at the point where, like, I need help. 
the youngest went last. Why? Because they were convinced she should die and they were better than her. Until finally they wised up a little bit and then they left. Eventually the younger and perhaps more stubborn take off. And as the dust settles, it's only Jesus and the woman. Verse 10, when Jesus had lifted up his voice and saw nobody but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. And I want you to see what Jesus said. Jesus said unto her, neither do I. And by the way, listen, remember what Jesus said. If any of you among you have not one sin, let him cast a stone. The question is, did Jesus have sin? No. He had the right to stone her by his own word, right? And what did he do? He said, I am not condemning you. Why? Because Jesus came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Hallelujah. She was broken. She was shamed and she was guilty and she deserved to die. And we all do. The wages of sin is still death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He met her at her weakest hour and he didn't condemn her. And that's awesome. That's something that if you've trusted Christ as your savior, you know personally of. You see, sin does not happen in a vacuum. It often has collateral damage. It touches other people's lives. It becomes common knowledge. And as important as it is for the sinner to respond rightly to a shameful mistake, listen carefully, it is equally important that the church responds rightly as well. It's important that this place is a place for the broken. So that even if someone comes in this building who has a tarnished reputation, who has a broken life because of sin, that the people here respond rightly. It is that important. We receive hope in the midst of our brokenness when we acknowledge that we've all fallen short and sinned before God. God forbid that we should have any Pharisees here ready to cast the stone. Instead, we've got to remember several things. Letter A, we're all sinners. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. You see, the beauty of the fellowship of the church is that we're able to extend forgiveness and grace to one another because we've all been broken people. And because we're all broken people, learning every day to live under the grace of God. And Jesus is making a point here. He's teaching the religious group a lesson about grace. He's teaching them If you cannot throw a stone at this woman, it's because you're guilty of breaking the law yourself. Romans chapter two and verse one. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges for when wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself for thou that judgest doeth the same things. Romans three and verse 19. Now we know that what so thing uh, what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be guilty before God. You see, the fact is, we've got to remember, the church should never be a place for the unbroken. It should never be a place where we become like a china shop or a china cabinet where we just sit and admire one another for how wonderful we look and how purified our lives are and how wonderful we are as Christians and how spiritual we are. No, we're all broken. And if we're sitting here put back together to any degree, it's not because of us. 
It's because of the grace of God. The church is a place for the broken because we because we know what it means to be broken by sin. Secondly, we all know about God's love. We all know about God's love. I can imagine. Can can you imagine Jesus looking at this woman with such compassion and love? And perhaps for the first time in this woman's brokenness, she must have had some hope. When Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. It must have been an amazing moment for her to realize that this crowd, this mob that was getting ready to kill her as she looked around at her accusers was now all gone. And the one, the only one without sin who could have and by the law should have said, I don't condemn you either. Can you imagine the relief? Can you imagine being guilty to that degree and all of a sudden the son of the living God looking you in the face with the love of God alone and saying, neither do I condemn you. That must have been so amazing. I'll tell you, if you're saved, you know that feeling. When you came face to face with your sin and you realized before God, I'm guilty. Rachel, I'm guilty. If I died in my sin right now, I'd be separated from God forever in a place called hell. But you loved me. You loved me in my own sin. And, 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 and you took my sin upon you and, and, and you're offering me forgiveness. What do I got to do? Nothing. I don't condemn you. The only thing I'm here to do is save you. And you took of that grace that day. You experienced the love of God. You experienced what she experienced. He's the only one who does not want to punish her for her wrongdoing. Rather, he offers her grace. You see, when you're broken because of your sin, the truest, you need to hear me say this. You, you come to the point where you say, God, I, I'm blowing it. I, I'm perpetually backsliding, like Jeremiah says about Israel. I, I just I, I feel like I'm on a slippery slope away from you. And you finally get to the bottom of that ravine and you look back and you're looking at the Lord and you say, God, I'm broken. And I see all of my sin is affecting all of this other other parts of my life and other people. And because sin doesn't happen in a vacuum. And Lord, I need you. You need to remember at that moment, the truest thing about you is that you are loved by God. You are loved by God. God does not determine your value based on how well you perform. God is not your boss. He doesn't write a six-month evaluation or a year evaluation so that you can get a promotion or a raise. He doesn't value you because of the way you perform. He loved you when you were a sinner, when you were a bluet. He doesn't value you that way. God does not decide your worth based on your reputation. Well, this is the way you've lived in the past. So based on all of the pattern that you have back there, I just can't forgive you this time. God does not love you like that. That's conditional. And God calls you valuable for one reason, because he made you. He is your creator. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were still or yet sinners, Christ died for us. First John 4 and verse 9, and this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son of the world that we might live through him here in his love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, your hope and my hope is found in a God who loves us just the way we are, but loves you too much to leave you that way. He loves her so much. He loves her the way she is, but he loves her so much. He doesn't want her to continue the same way living. 
Jesus clearly does not condone the woman's sin because he says, neither do I condemn thee. Look at the end of verse 11. Go and sin no more. He doesn't say that my forgiveness is so cheap that you can take it and then go live your life that way. I love you too much to leave you living in that sin. I love you too much. I want the best for you. I want what's right for you. I want to bless you. I want to fulfill you. I want to give you hope every single day. And you can't have that doing that same thing. So I don't condemn you. That's the good news. But here's better news. Don't do it again. Go and sin no more. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Listen, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he that is Christ is pure. You see, contrary to what you may have heard from friends or even in in the wrong fellowship, Jesus cares about how we live our lives. He cares about every decision. He cares about everything we say. He cares about everywhere we go. He cares about every relationship we have. Why? Because he cares about the way we live. He cares about the way we live. He cares about the decisions we make that leave us broken. Jesus wants to expose the sin, but not for the same reasons as the religious leaders. God exposes sin, sin, listen, not to shame us, though that's part of the process. God exposes sin to change us. That's the, that's the bottom line principle here. I'm going to show you, yes, you deserve to die. But I'm also going to show you that I came to save your life, but I still don't condone your life the way it was. I've come to change it. Does everybody see that there? I've come to change your life. Jesus wants to make us whole again. He wants to take the broken pieces and put them back together so we all know about God's love. Thirdly, as the church, we all agree that grace and forgiveness is for everyone. We agree with that. Should we agree with that today? If you believe that God's grace and forgiveness is for everyone, say amen. Okay. This is the good news. If you find yourself here today and you're broken... If you feel like you're surrounded by people who only want to throw stones, Jesus meets you in this place and he says, that's not true. Because we all know about sin and brokenness. We all know about the goodness and the love and the grace of God. And if that's you, you have a choice to make that is going to determine your future. You can choose to make no changes. You can come here today, have your sin, God expose your sin in your heart, and maybe even to your spouse or your family or to your church family. And you can leave here still broken and do nothing about your life and stay on the same trajectory of no hope and, as we learned last week, no rest. The other option, of course, is to confess your sin to God. The other option is to receive his forgiveness and walk away in a new life, a life that's not the same. When we confess our sin and believe in Christ, then we're found in Christ. And he writes, Paul writes about that in every church letter that he started. Ephesians 4.32, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Listen, even as God, for Christ's sake, also hath forgiven you. You see, that's the basis for it all. Why? Because the church is a place for the broken. Letter D, we all acknowledge that we should not live in sin. Now, if we believe the Bible, and I think most of us in here do, the Bible says, my little children, these things write unto you, that ye sin not. Now, that's the facts. Now, here again, he props it up and says, look, I know you're not perfect. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So God reminds us all 
Look, nothing breaks us like sin. But the church has got to be a place for the broken. It's got to be a place where someone with a life of sin is broken and at the end of the rope comes in and sees the love of God and he experiences the forgiveness of God. And then as they're saved, learns what it means to fellowship with others who are the same. Look, the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved, you're still a sinner. And you still know what it means to live in sin. You still know what it means to be broken because of that. But because of that, you also know what the love of God is like. You know what the forgiveness of God is like. And so as we have experienced that, God says, I want you to show the same. And he couldn't find that in that crowd. Why? Because the crowd had a different motive than God's. You see, their motive was to condemn and kill and destroy. Not just this woman, but Jesus was the target. Jesus' motive in all of that was to save and to restore. And that's the church's motive. That we should do the same. Lastly, the story gives us a tremendous truth about broken lives. And thirdly, I want to say only God can put broken pieces back together. I don't know what part of your life is broken. I don't know. It's not for me to know. It really isn't. But you need to know that only God can put broken pieces back together. Do you have that hope in you? Could you, by your own testimony to someone else who's broken, could you share your story of restoration? Maybe a time in your life where you made a decision and like an expensive vase was dropped, pieces went everywhere. But when you came to Christ, by the miracle of the mighty God that saves, he put every piece back together. And now you are his vessel. Could you show someone the testimony of restoration? Could you show someone, could you make the statement and believe it? I just want you to know that my life is a testimony that God can put all the pieces back together. He can do all that for you. Let me show you how. See, in order to find hope, one must come to Jesus Christ, confess their guilt of breaking God's law. And when they fall in the mercy of God, that is when brokenness pays off. Letter A, in Christ, a broken sinner becomes a saint. Someone who is lost, someone who has never come to Christ, someone who doesn't have the assurance of salvation, someone who has never been born again, someone who doesn't have the hope of heaven. I could say it a bunch of different ways. The fact of the matter is, if you're lost in here today and you're on your way to hell, you know it. And as God has revealed to you over and over again through his word, he says to you, look, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many pieces your life is in. I don't care the life decisions that have made ruin. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is you and my love for you is not based on performance or reputation. My love is based on this. I created you for fellowship with me. I want to save you so you can have it. And in the process, put your life back together. In Christ, a broken sinner becomes a saint. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And all things are of God. And this is what he's done. Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us, the church, the ministry of reconciliation. We are made new in Christ. How many believe that? Amen. The old ways of living become things of the past and God does something new in us. Does that happen to you? Because in Christ, a broken sinner becomes a saint. The church is nothing more than than a gathering point for a whole bunch of sinners who are learning every day how to live in this new life. The church 
should be a place where grace is found. It should be a place where grace is found more readily than any other place on the earth. The grace of God and the grace found from those with whom we have fellowship is the key to hope. That's why we assemble. That's why we listen to preaching. That's why we come as we say, yes, I remember now. That's the hope that I have. That's what Jesus did for me. That's what God wants to do with my life. Now I have a renewed purpose because every sinner in Christ becomes a saint. Secondly, through confession, a broken saint is restored to fellowship. You know, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 9, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness or sin, we lie and do not the truth. That is, if we're living in sin, though we say we're having fellowship with Christ, it's a lie. Based on that we're walking in the lie and we're walking in darkness. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, I don't have any sin. The Bible says we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. On the other hand, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, when a saint is broken, our relationship is not affected. When you're born again into the family of God, your relationship never changed. You're always his child. Hallelujah for that. Okay. Once you're saved, you are justified and you are held and sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. That can never change. However, though your relationship doesn't change, your fellowship is broken. You walk in darkness. You live in a lie. You decide to go the way of Balaam. You decide to walk in your own way and turn away from the old paths of Christ. Your fellowship is broken. You're broken. And those of us that have been saved long enough and gone down a wrong path or two, you understand that you know that it's broken. You sense that it is. And sometimes the devil has a good way of reminding us, or at least getting us to think, there's no way, there's no hope for you. You've done this before. You you and I both know that God's love is conditional. You and I both know that your reputation in the past is unforgivable. That's why you don't feel loved. Is because you know that God's disappointed with you. And, and all of that comes showering down on the broken saint. Not because he's lost his salvation, but because he's lost his fellowship. The fellowship that you had once with Christ, that, that John's writing to these Christians, is, is dark. It's not fellowship. But then he gives us hope and says, look, All you have to do is tell the truth. Let your sin be exposed to God. God, I'm a liar. I've been lying. And and I don't want to do that. In fact, Lord, to restore this fellowship, I want to go and tell those that I've lied to that I've lied to. And it's going to hurt. And it's going to sting. But in a little while, it's going to feel really good. It doesn't feel good when everyone knows the truth about me, but the reality is when everyone knows the truth, I feel free. I don't have to live in a corner. I don't have to make up lies. I don't have to wonder if they're going to find out. Forgiveness. 
Through confession, a broken saint is restored to fellowship. And when we are, it's an amazing thing. I read a story that expresses what living in the reality of this hope of grace is like. Watching a trapeze show is breathtaking. How many have ever seen one? I, I, I've uh, seen a couple in my lifetime, and I'm, I, I don't like heights. I'm really not a heights guy. I was when I was young because I didn't have anything to live for. I was like, oh, well, what's the worst that can happen to me? I could get hurt or whatever. But you get old, and you have children, and you're married and stuff, and you're just like, yeah, you can go over to the edge if you want to. I can see from here. I'm fine. I'm just not a big, not a big heights guy. In fact, um, we were watching, uh, anybody ever heard of Dude, Dude Perfect? We were, we were watching, I was watching that with my kids, and one of the guys, there was just this crazy wacko stuff, and one of the guys, his, one of his bucket lists was to be a wing walker. So you had a biplane, you know what a biplane is? Those guys in the old days that used to go up, and then they get out of the cockpit, and then they go up on the wing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what I said. And they strap themselves to the plane, and they just have this post. They put their feet there, and then the plane does loops, and aileron rolls, and does all this stuff while he's on top. So one of these guys gets up on, he gets up while it's in the air, gets out of the cockpit and stands on top of this. I'm watching this. My legs are shaking. My hands are wet. I can't handle it. I look at it and I just go, ah, that's awful. So when I watch it, when I watch the trapeze and I see these people at the top of the tent and they let go and they do this flip and I'm just like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to know what's going to happen. And then you're like, oh, he caught him thankfully. You know. That, that's kind of what it's like. Watching a trapeze show can be breathtaking. We wonder at the dexterity of them flying through the air and their timing. We grasp at near misses. In most cases, there's a net underneath. And then when, when the trapeze artists fall, they jump up, bounce back up, and they get back on the trapeze. That's what they do. In fact, some of them at the very end of the show, they do all kinds of flips, and then they land in and they're like, dude, that was, that's bananas. Get off there. You're going to get hurt. What are you doing? But listen. In Christ, we live on a trapeze. The whole world should be able to watch us and say, wow, look at how they live. Look at how they love one another. That's amazing. Look how well the husbands treat their wives. They're the best workers in the factories, in the offices. They're the best neighbors. They're the amazing, most amazing students. Look how the church loves people. That's amazing. That's to live on the trapeze, being a show to the world. But wait, what happens when we slip? There's a net. His name is Jesus. And he's always there. The blood of our Savior has provided forgiveness for all our trespasses. Both the net and the ability to stay on the trapeze are all works of God's grace. And we know it. Of course, we cannot be continually sleeping on the net. If that, in fact, if that's the case, I doubt whether that person's really a trapeze artist to begin with. What a picture. What a picture of what God wants us to be. Soaring on the wings of eagles and living in the stillness and the peace and the rest of Jesus Christ. And knowing that even when we are broken because we have sinned, that we have a net that always catches us. And a fountain filled with blood that is never, ever dry. I want to invite you this morning with your broken pieces, all of them, to believe that God can make something beautiful of your life once again. And he wants to. I want to invite you to trust the people that God's placed you within to offer hope to one another. And 
to live out this wonderful grace-filled life together. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter why you're broken. It doesn't matter. It, it could be personal brokenness that only you and God know about. It doesn't matter why you're broken. When you're willing to be broken and humbled, His grace will lift you up and put you back together in a way that He can use you. Jeremiah was given a vision of a potter's house. and He went to see the potter and the clay was there. And the Bible says that as the potter put the clay on there and as he was making a vessel that the, that the clay was marred and it was resistant. And yet the Bible says that he, because of that, just decided to make another vessel. He said, okay, well, if you're going to resist me, I'll just do this, and I'm going to make you into that vessel anyway. You see, it doesn't matter what's happened to this point in your life. What matters now is what happens after this point. If you have something in your life that's not pleasing to God, would you get it right today and allow the grace of God and the love of God to not just catch you in that net, but to put you back up on that trapeze and say, now, I want you to soar for the glory of God. There's always hope for the broken. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your amazing grace and for the promise of your word. I thank you, God, that one day I'm going to see this woman in heaven, even though she's an adulteress, even though she broke the law, Father, the the fact of the matter is we have all broken your law. There is none of us that are righteous concerning your law. And Father, as we have fallen on your mercy and to your grace yielded to your love, this woman did the same thing. And God, I'm thankful for the picture of brokenness. And I'm thankful that no matter who we are in this room, that we can still come to the same place, to the cross of Calvary, and we can find hope. Lord, for the sinner that's here today that needs to be saved, I pray that they would be saved. I pray that they would be broken in their heart about their their sin, that they would need to be saved today. And they would come to that knowledge and then act on it. But Father, also for the Christian, for your child who is living another way, another life, maybe even living a lie that hasn't been exposed yet, I pray that they would sense your Holy Spirit's need to find that exposure both awful and shameful, but also very helpful and restorative. I pray that you would do a great work in our hearts this morning. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to have Jenna play just for a minute. Lord, I need you. And I wonder this morning, if you're broken, as no one's looking around, I wonder if there's someone here that would say, Pastor, I'm not saved. I don't want to wrestle with it. I don't want to pretend that I don't need it. I need I need to be saved. God has shown me my need. And I'm, I'm ready to come to Christ. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand real quick? I'd just like to see it. I'm broken. I've got pieces all over the place. And it's because God wants to save me. I need to be saved. Would you pray for me? If that's you, just slip up your hand real quick. I just want to pray for you. I need to be saved. Maybe you're a Christian. And maybe there's an area in your life that God's exposed today and He's humbled you. You feel shame about it. You feel guilty. And you need to do business with God. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Because God spoke directly to my heart today about my need to have my fellowship restored and my sin forgiven. I'm saved and I know it but I'm broken and I needed 
the hope of Christ today. Would you pray for me as I do business with God? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Anybody like that? All over the building. Praise the Lord. You put your hands down. Anybody else? I didn't raise my hand to begin with, but I, God spoke to me, and I needed that hope today. I'm broken. There's an area in my life that's broken, and God's exposed it. Would you pray for me? Anybody else? I didn't raise my hand before. I see those hands. Thank you. I'm broken today. How many would say, Pastor, on the promise of God, I believe that only God can restore what's been broken? How many would say that today? I believe that with all of my heart. All right. I want to pray for you, those that raised your hands. And I wonder if this morning, if you feel the need to, that you just fill this altar. Those that raised their hand, I want to invite you. This is our invitation. This is where we do business with God. This is the place that we've always done business with God. And we need to get back in that habit, that rhythm of the Christian life. And I wonder if you just find a place somewhere in this auditorium today and say, Lord, I'm broken. I'm, I'm broken. There's some pieces that I need you to restore and put back today. And I can only do that through your love and grace. And as you seek the mercy of God, let him restore you. Heavenly Father, I pray now for these Lord, we're all standing before you. We've contemplated your word. You've spoken. And Lord, many have raised their hands that said you spoke directly to their heart and they need you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to them. I pray that they would find your grace and your mercy. I pray that you would encourage them. Lord, there's no doubt in my mind that this woman left there so totally different that she was relieved, she was forgiven. I fully expect that she went back and made things right with her husband and that they lived their life doing right. I pray that, Lord, that we would do the same. I pray that as you have taken us today and reminded us what the church is, that that we would sincerely become the place of hope for the broken. And that, Lord, that week after week we would invite the broken. God, we know people that are going through it and we see it as God trying to get their attention, may they realize it. And may they, uh, Lord, allow the shame and the guilt of their sin not just to be exposed, but, Lord, to be accepted and find that there was, there's only grace and healing and forgiveness in Christ. Please bless these today, Lord, who are in need of your help. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you bless the word of God in our hearts. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, thank you for being